Hi, Katerina, are you there? Yes, I am, Sam. I'm in my closet again, waiting for you. <laughs> How's your week been? It's been good. It was a busy weekend. I did a crafts fair, which is quite common here in Chicago during the summer. They have a lot of fairs going on. So it was good fun. But, you know, after two days of just standing at a fair selling your stuff, it, it's uh, you're pretty tired. Yeah. Well, I suppose you've been at Croft as a weekend. Has, has anything grabbed your eye this week in the news? Any industry story that uh, has made you take note? Yes. Well, one thing, and again, I, I keep coming back to the sustainability aspect, but Hawaii now have banned sunscreens because some of the uh, sunblockers, it destroys the corals. And I just find it interesting because, I mean, I can see it happening, like all these people coming to Hawaii, they use a lot of sunscreen uh, and then they all go and swim in the same kind of area, uh, you know, go diving and etc. in the corals. So I bet there's a pretty high concentration very locally around very sensitive ecosystems. Don't get me wrong, sunscreen is super important and you have to protect your skin from the sun. But, you know, it's so easy to always talk about that. And then we totally forget the fact that all these things that we have in our products, that goes out to our ecosystems. We, we just cannot forget it because it will hit us. It will come back to us in the end. Yes, I saw that story as well. And I think it's one particular group of chemicals that they're concerned about. Forgive my English pronunciation here, but it's oxybenzone and octin oxinate, which are the more of the chemical sunscreens. We know that everything's chemical, but when we say chemical, we mean not reflective. Uh, yes, exactly. How could I explain this? There are two different kinds of sunscreens. And these ones, basically, they, they are molecules that absorb the sunlight, whereas there are other sunblocks, basically particles that kind of just creates a thin layer on top of your skin. Although it's very effective in formulation, of course, for us in the cosmetic science world, there's a much bigger picture that we're always having to think about much broader issues than just the formulation. Yeah. And I'm now when we're talking, I'm thinking also, I mean, what about Australia and the big barrier reef. I mean, there are other places similar to this. It's going to be a real challenge. But also, it's very exciting because that's the interesting part of being in the industry is constantly innovating new materials to counteract the negatives of, of formulation and the effectiveness of them. Uh, it's an ever-moving industry. I mean, you touched on what we talked about last time in terms of sustainability. Going back to the first podcast when we talked about retail, I noticed that Amazon, just in the USA this is, they are launching a shop on Online, which is purely devoted to people like us, Katarina, independent brands. They're only selling independent brands on this new uh, online channel. Yeah, I, I saw that as well this week. I actually suspected that you would bring it up. It's fantastic. It's, of course, a great opportunity that I have to, it's on my to-do list this week to look into more exactly what you need to do to, to get on there. Because for small independent brands, it's, it's a goldmine, I would say. I'm also thinking that they're trying to somewhat mimic Etsy or because Etsy has, Etsy is growing as well here in the US. You know, the maker sells to the customer directly. There is no one in between. And I, I get the sense that this is kind of what Amazon wants to do as well. I'll have to find out. Yeah, crafts aren't really regulated, whereas the cosmetics and personal care industry is is regulated and especially here in Europe, s strict regulations that you have to comply with to be able to sell to the public. That's an area where they'll need to look at. And also with independent brands, if you're very new and just coming into the retail area, you may overlook certain things. You may not consider the journey that the product has to take from the Amazon warehouse to your customer's door, I think you'll have to think about adding extra protection in there for products. Uh, I think it's a really good idea, but I think it'll be a steep learning curve for people who have just started their business and then go straight into Amazon. 
No, you're absolutely right. You have to think about the whole fulfillment process for sure. And I love I love that test, the throw test. You take a package and you you literally just throw it across the room, drop it, you know, on a staircase or something, just to see that that the product is fine, uh, because that's actually what's going to happen in a lot of cases. That's right. And as consumers, we just get on with our lives and we expect the packaging to do the job it's been designed to do. They need to be fairly bulletproof. Yeah. And just to, to your point there about crafts, and I think that's a very important point i consider myself you know the the formulation part is my craftsmanship to some extent but on the other hand i am fully aware of all the regulations uh and the safety aspect that needs to be fulfilled for any product but you're right there is unfortunately there is a lack of knowledge in many cases on what needs to go in there and not and i have seen questions from people who who are basically just making small batches of products but they ask questions such as do i need preservatives in my moisturizer for example because i really Really don't want preservatives but these are questions that sometimes scare me yes completely i think that if you're asking that question you shouldn't be formulating I, I absolutely agree of course you need preservatives if you have a moisturizer that contains water you know you don't want to sell anything that that could potentially harm customers so i don't know this might be a, a broader topic but but overall i think it's amazing that amazon has started this and i'm definitely looking into it and katarina you sent me something via twitter perhaps we could talk about it yeah, you were thinking about the image. It was I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically saying for a man, you have, uh, say, use this product that will solve all your problems. And for women, you have this is a product for your, your elbow. Uh, and here's one for your eyebrow. So basically, the, the, the bottom line is that the industry is such they, they sell one or two products to men. It's like all in one multifunctional, use this one, it will solve everything. Whereas the beauty industry basically sell women everything like you need this for your your nails, you need this uh, cream for your hands, this one for your body, and then you have an, an eye cream, and then you have a moisturizer and a serum. Yeah, so basically women end up with uh, 30 products in their bathroom shelf. I thought of you when I saw it. I know that why you started Sam Farmer is because of the, the lack of gender equality in the beauty industry. I, I was talking to um, a friend of mine in Sweden, and she was saying, you know what, it's crazy because we women, we just waste so much money on, on these beauty products when we actually could spend the money on books instead. You know, she has a point there, even though I am a beauty brand and I want people obviously to, to buy my products. But uh, there is a limit, I think, personally, to, to how many products you need as a woman. So right back into the sort of I think it was 1910 when the razor companies thought, well, you know, everyone's shaving. How can we increase market share? Well, what about women? Let's introduce women should be shaving the hair on their body. So suddenly that then introduces and increases the market share of someone's products. These were all men in advertising. And it's the sort of manipulation which has been going on for decades. Look at some of the adverts from the 1950s. Look good for your husband when he comes home from a hard day's work. The marketing they were written by men. And of course, men then drew up this perfect woman and they were talking about women as they thought women were and how they wanted women to behave. If we can move away from the messaging and focus on the touch and the feel and the self-care, that's a great positive move. And, and I think this is the way the industry is going. Yeah, no, I, I completely uh, agree with you there. I, I find that appalling, actually, when what the industry have done for years and years, that the message basically that 
for any woman, there is something wrong with you and you have to correct it, like from the skin on your elbows to your hair to, you know, basically there's something wrong with you. And if you correct that, there is something else that's wrong with you and you need another cream or another moisturizer for it. We all like to have a little treat. Now life is so busy. It is quite nice to have products that make you feel nice because it's part of a relaxation process and it's a sort of escape the way that we feel about our industry making us feel good. There is the other aspect, as you say, the ritual. That's why I like the industry, the feel good factor. If you really dig down, that's the reason a lot of women use 30 products in a day. It makes you feel good and it's... um, it's a hobby to some extent. I still, even though I formulate professionally, I, I, I still go to the kitchen and, and bring out like the oats and the, the honey and some other stuff that I find. And I kind of make a mask or something because it's fun. I do this with my daughters. And that's not because I want to teach them, oh, you have to look pretty or anything. No, no, no. We do it because it's fun. And it's a, it's a bonding thing for us. I think that's where you have to focus on. And I think a lot of women more appreciate that rather than getting the message. There's something wrong with you. You have to correct your skin. You have to correct your eyebrows. You have to correct da 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 da. Look at YouTube now. This is a trend I, I, I tend to see now by the younger generation, the YouTube generation, which I love actually. And that is that a lot of young girls, they use makeup as a, it's an art form. It's a creative process for them. They're not putting makeup on to look pretty for a boy. They're doing it because they saw Harley Quinn on, on in the movies and they want to look like her or they want to do something fun and they're having fun with it and they're doing it for themselves. And I think that's a really good development. Young girls and women will use beauty products and makeup for different reasons than 30 years ago, which I think is great. So. That, that's a massively positive message. And I think the industry is changing it. The fact that, that young people are using products to make them feel good about themselves. And young men are starting to use a lot more products as well. Yes, men are using more products, but I also think men are kind of, they're, they're understanding the the aspect of the ritual and the, the feel good as well. Like um, my, uh, my hipster friends yes, that all have beards now, they go to barber shops and they get the whole full package with the, I don't know what they do, but they do all kinds of, it's a spa treatment basically for men. But it's for the beard. So the, you don't say spa treatment. You say like the deluxe package or whatever. But all of them are like, oh my God, it's so nice. Now I understand why women pay, you know, hundreds of pounds for a nice treatment. I see it in men as well now that, that they are they, they are embracing that and understanding what the fuss is about, basically, and saying this is really nice, you know, and they're tapping into that as well, which I think is great. Absolutely. Men are coming into it. You see programs like Made in Chelsea and The Only Way is Essex. You wouldn't have seen that 15, 20 years ago. It's a recent edition. And, and I think that's us, again, moving away from the stereotypes and people really getting into the industry and enjoying it. I mean, you see all these perfect lives on Instagram and you see the perfect moms you see the perfect teenagers who have perfect bodies, etc. But there's another side of that. And that is that via social media, women actually have an own voice to a much larger extent. And we're more honest. And suddenly you see it's not only perfect and we're not always happy, etc. And that's okay. If you draw that to a bigger audience as well, when it comes to body image and, and teenage girls and so on, I think you know, the more people are honest and show themselves and show life as it is, that could also actually change the norm and change the the way we view women's bodies and, you know, women's appearances in general. So, And what have you got coming up this week, Katharina? 
Well, speaking of Amazon, I'm going to look into that. And then I have some other projects I'm working on right now, which I can't really tell you about just yet, but I will. So there's a lot of work with those uh, ones as well this week. So stay tuned and I will share. What are you up to? I am negotiating with a new retailer and we are very nearly there. I'm just finalizing some bits and pieces. And it's the first time I'm going on to the high street since I went with Space NK. I've been heavily online. The online experience is something I'm really interested in. Retail, again, as you know, is a very different environment and I'm a bit nervous about it, but also quite excited. You will do well. I'm sure you will. You can tell me off air about this. Okay. All right, Catherine. Lovely to speak to you. Yeah. Speak to you in a week's time. Yeah. Bye.